2: Honestly, I don't think most people really care about human rights. They go to human rights because they're like, this is something that affirms something deeply that I know. But we have this sense of the oldest and most ancient human wrongs. And um, in the uh, Hebraic traditions, the Jewish traditions, and the Christian tradition, it's um, one brother kills another and hides the body. And there's that still ancient sense of human wrongs where we try and assert our power by hiding bodies and we hide them under flags, we hide them under monuments, we hide them under national anthems, we hide them under... Um, and that's the 114 children that you mentioned in Nauru. It's that same ancient human wrong that we're trying to create
3: an us and we need a them to make an us. That is activist and preacher Jared McKenna... And this is episode 251 of the Osher podcast. Hello and welcome to the Osher podcast. I'm Oshie Ginsburg. Welcome to the show. This is episode 251 of the show with activist, pastor and all-round lovely man who puts his money where his mouth is, Jared McKenna. He's from West Australia. He's a lovely chap. You can find Jared on Twitter and Instagram at J-A-R-R-O-D-M-C-K-E-N-N-A, at Jared McKenna. More about Jared in a moment. If you're new to the show, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. I'm Oshie Ginsberg. Uh, I'm a TV host and a podcaster and an author from Australia. I'm currently working on a show where I deliver date cards. I count roses. I break hearts. Well, I tell people it's they their hearts are already broken. I just say it's time you better go now and I whisper it that's on a TV show called The Bachelor yes that one The Bachelor show mm, that one yeah that's what I do yeah one of the things the Australian version that is I'm also um, out and about a lot talking about my new book it's a memoir it's called Back After the Break uh, and you can get it wherever you buy books there's plenty of ways to buy it you can buy it in a hard copy ebook, audiobook at oshriginsberg.com. If you like, you can go there right now. I'm out and about a bit talking about the book. I'd love to see you there. I'll be in Sydney this week. On Thursday, I'm doing a speaking event, a speaking gig for Are You OK Day in Parramatta, and then I'm off to Adelaide the week after that. I'll be there on the night of the eighteenth. Um you can get tickets for that gig and um i'll be also doing a talk signing books and saying hi on, on that night um it's not the live show no guitars on that one it's just me speaking i'll be doing a q a i'll be doing A Q&A as well hope you can make that one um then i'm back in sydney for the wolfie foundation spring ball on the 22nd with audrey that'll be lovely that one and then off to rocky rock vegas rock hampton for another speaking gig on october the 6th i hope you can come along to at least one of those things. We can say hi, we can hug, we can chat, we, I'll sign a book if you have one. If, if not, we'll just say hi. Uh, it'll be great to see you. it would be so great to see you. When I'm not on telly, when I'm not doing gigs like the ones I just mentioned, I'm what am I doing? I'm either with my family, I'm trying to cook something interesting, I'm swinging kettlebells around, I'm on a bicycle, or I'm making this very podcast, which I have done each and every Monday for the last 250 Mondays in a row. There are many, many other episodes. So if you're new, go exploring. There's lots and lots to choose from. Go check out a couple. So what is this show? Well, this podcast is a conversation that you get to be a part of, and it is a conversation that is specifically designed to hopefully help you make today a little bit better than yesterday. That's all I'm trying to do here. That's about it. Sometimes this conversation will be with a name you know. You'll see a name and go, oh, that's it. I know that person. I'll download that. And sometimes it'll be someone that you don't know. But I guarantee no matter who it is that's on the show today, in that conversation I have with that person, I guarantee you'll hear something that you need to hear. You'll hear something that makes you go, oh, right, yeah today was a good day to hear that. Just a little bit something, a little bit of something to help you make today a little bit, best, a little bit better than yesterday. That's all I'm here to try and do. A uh, big thanks to everybody that got in touch this week. You can always email me, send email at gmail.com. Thank you very much for the podsy pictures, which were great. Oh, a, what's a podsy? A lot of, a lot, of a lot of book face as well I'm getting this week. Book face. So a podsy first week, a podsy, P-O-D-S-I-A. Podsy is a photo of what you're looking at right now as you're listening to this. Take your phone out. Take a photo of it email them to me. Send us your email at gmail.com. I'd love to to see where you listen to the show. Um, Also, a lot of book face. What's a book face? You know, book face where you hold the book in front of your face. A lot of that. A lot of of me on holidays. People, uh, the book going on holidays. I've I've been in Bali this week. Uh, I've been in in, in, in Indonesia. Again, in the Cook Islands. Um, Again, in Europe, which is super exciting. People are taking the hard copy with them, which is Really, really fun. Um, that's always great to see those. Uh, and a big love as well. Big, big love to the Facebook group who are doing nothing but wonderful support and conversation and, uh, you know, people gathering together, meeting up before the book signings and stuff that happened in Melbourne and, and, and Brisbane. And, yeah, it's great. It's just great, you know, bringing people together who listen to this show. So if you listen to the show and you want to meet other people that listen to this show, is slash group is slash FB group. Go there and um, just answer a couple of quick questions and away you go. A lot of love and support there. A lot of chat going on there. It's really lovely. So let's check in. How are you? Have you checked in with someone? You've got to check in with someone. You've got to do it. How are you going? How's the family? How's the job? How's the commute? You doing okay? You controlling the things that you can control and accepting the things you can't? At least doing your best to, to do so? Are you taking responsibility for the brain you've got? Are you doing what you need to do so that life is as lovely as possible for you and those around you? Are you on the front foot? Are you taking the action you need to take? Are you resigned to, fuck it, this is it, why bother? Hmm, a couple of questions. Might be some answers in there if you haven't asked yourself those questions this week. I certainly have to check in with you this week. It's been a big one book's been going super well, which is really nice. In fact, I got told just the other day that they hit go on the big printing press to uh, churn out another 1,000 copies, which is pretty good. Only two weeks in, that's a pretty big deal, so I'm pretty excited about that. I had a great day with my wife, Audrey, on her birthday. A lot of wonderful feedback about the episode that she and I did together. Thank you so much for being so generous and and letting her know how that helped you, because um, it... Uh hopefully it, like it really encouraged her to um you know that that she you know she's there she's there for people and helping more people than just me <laughs> um but for you know her birthday I, I we went horse riding which was super fun and when when Audrey was younger and it wasn't just like a trail ride we went and found this like a proper place where we could grab horses and go for a proper run which was great and now when Audrey was younger Audrey Chained trained as a jillaroo, which is the lady version of a jackaroo, Uh, jackaroo, jillaroo, that is somebody, if you're not from Australia, that's somebody who works on a big sheep and cattle station or, you know, like on horseback wrangling large amounts of animals. All right. So on horseback. So anyway, as a result, she trained like, so she can really ride. She can really ride a horse. And just as I surprised Audrey the other week when I got on stage and sang and played, like she had an idea that I could do both. She knew that I did both before she met me, but she'd never seen me do it. Yesterday, I got to see the same thing with Audrey. We were out riding for the day it was really great we were out for about six hours on the horses all up it was freaking good out all through the bush it was so great and we were coming up a hill out of a gully we saw a bit of open country we saw the country kind of i guess it kind of open up a bit and um so we both well we kicked up into a canter which is essentially the third gear of a horse Okay so if you remember what manual cars were like so there's trot uh, walk first gear trot second gear canter third gear gallop fourth gear um so we're we're fanging it up this hill in the, in a canter which is really fun and, and Audrey was on my like I'm I'm looking straight ahead obviously I'm like concentrating on the trees and stuff coming up ahead and then on my right I see Audrey Griffin in double denim of course Um, on a beautiful white horse just screaming past me, the distinct four-beat cadence of a gallop just thundering off the ground. Audrey's up in the stirrups, one hand on the reins, leaning right over the front shoulders of this magnificent animal, a smile on her face I've never seen before. And she's whispering in the horse's ear, at full gallop just kindly encouraging him on, the two of them just moving together in perfect motion as she flew past the grey gums and bottle brushes uphill. And horses being horses, my guy, he didn't want to miss out, so we quickly followed. And the two of us, me and Audrey, just literally charging up this hill, me looking far less in control as she is, obviously, but the four of us, two humans, two horses, all moving up, all massively up this glorious hill into the afternoon sun. Just, which was streaming off the ridgeline into her faces. It was so good. And It was such a wonderful sight to see on her face because, well, one, I've never seen her do that. I knew she did it, but I'd never seen her actually do it. It was so great to see her just in, just in all her power and just the, just complete control. It was wonderful to see her like that. But two, I know how that horse feels. <laughs> to be at full pace... And having Audrey gently holding on, gently guiding amidst the colossal expense of energy going on, softly whispering to me to keep me on track. It was was great, great to watch. In in, in fact, actually, the same thing happened today. Um, Her whispering to me, like a person on Instagram was asking... Um, we were talking about, you know, meds and treatment and progress and asking if I still struggle and yeah, yeah, I still struggle. Like the visions and things, they still kind of bother me. It's not like I describe it, like it's not the billboard it used to be. It's more just kind of like a post-it note, but it's, it's still there. And I, they're not as big as I used to be. I can kind of cope with it a bit better now, but, um, you know, it was still shit. And like just today I was just, I was calmly eating a delicious burger with my wife and telling Audrey about an uncomfortable trigger moment that I had yesterday and suddenly out of nowhere I just started crying. I was just it was, was quickly overcome with just a great sadness and it, and it took me by surprise And I felt all kind of ashamed and, and you know, sorry honey, sorry, sorry But she just reached out. She touched my arm. She softly said, it's okay. It's all right. I'm sorry And in just a few moments that feeling passed And I was back to eating my burger and my sweet potato fries again <laughs> Um, so yeah, I don't know if it was her training on how to handle wild beasts, but I am very, very lucky that I have Audrey in my life, very lucky that I have a woman like that, Um, I hope that you can find someone or have someone like her as well, she was so stoked to meet so many people the other day, at the Brisbane Writers Festival, I know that her story on last week's episode touched a lot of people and I'm hoping that I'm really hoping that she'll do more and she'll say more from her perspective because it really seems like, I don't know, it's it's, it's kind of new to talk about both sides of managing uh, mental illness like you know, she and I talked about last week. I, we're not the first people, obviously, but I don't know, something about the way she and I were talking about it is kind of resonating with people at the moment. So, um, yeah, that's nice. Um, a big thank you again to everybody who came out to say hi in Melbourne and in Brisbane. Thanks for buying the book. Thanks for supporting the book. Um, me and uh, my manager, we are looking at trying to tour the live show. It's logistically interesting. Logistically interesting. I'm getting a crash course in touring independent theatre and the economics of how it all works. Um, So we're trying to figure that out. Um, Don't worry. You'll be the first to know as soon as we book the theatres and and get the tickets on sale. I'll let you know first, I promise. Um, But like I said earlier, uh, I certainly hope that you are doing what you can about your, your brain and your day. Um, I'm trying to practice what I preach as much as I can. I'm working out every day. I'm meditating as often as I can. I'm writing every day. because It is is in the writing because it is in the writing that I get a chance to get the fear out of my brain, put it on a paper and try to make sense of of what the hell is waking me up at five in the morning. Because I'm not going to lie, that's been happening a bit. I don't know that's a flag for me. We've talked about this before. There's there's a lot going on at the moment. Um, And as the tension kind of stays up, Uh, I can feel the edges fray a little bit. And so it's in the writing that I get a chance to figure out what is actually going on. It's only when I put the pen in my hand and write it on the paper that I get to go, ah, there it is. It is a form of contemplation, if you will. And there's quite the discussion of contemplation with my guest today.
1: You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days you should celebrate with jewelry.
3: Jared McKenna is the teaching pastor at Cornerstone Church in Perth. He is the co-founder of First Home Project, which is a community welcoming housing and giving a hand up, not a hand out to recently arrived refugees and is a Peace Award winning non-violent social change trainer. Now, Jared's a wonderful bloke. He's obviously a very smart, a very charismatic man. Not many pastors are anything less, but Jared is also a man who is, voracious in his drive to campaign for positive social change when it comes to asylum seekers and refugees. Not many folks are willing to risk their lives for a cause. Jared did just that when he was smuggled onto Manus Island to spend time with and speak with people that our Australian government has detained. Now, among those people are over a 100 children. Children like your kids, children like mine children who are far from home, children who are scared, children who are needing care and support. Kids just like yours, kids just like mine. Now, when I pay my taxes as an Australian, that money gets used for things that I'm very happy about. I'm very happy about my money money being used to build roads, to build hospitals, to build infrastructure, social services. I think that's great. But that money that I pay in my tax dollars and yours... Um, that's also being used to detain children who had no choice in their situation. That's my money. That's your money. Personally, I'm not very happy about it being used for that. So the question, I guess, is do I have an answer for people arriving to Australia by boat? No, I don't. Is locking up children the answer? As far as I'm concerned, it isn't. Um, and we talk about that. Me and Jared talk a lot about that. Uh, Jared, you know, we also talk about a lot of other stuff because Jared belongs to a church that I've had a few things to do with over the years. Um, I have, you know, thoughts on how, you know, some of those churches—not particularly Jared's—but some of them do operate. But as you'll hear me say to him, I have learned to be quick to see where religious people are right, because look, just because I have a different idea of what might uh, be a god or be a higher power, or whatever, that doesn't mean that I can't powerfully share the values of kindness, compassion, and caring for others in our community that a man like Jared does. Jared's a good man. He's a kind man, and I'm very proud to support him and bring this conversation to you. Um, He's doing a lot of good work, and if you'd like to get behind him, you can go to kidsoffneru.com. kidso dot is where to start that's that's where you start right there we do talk about some pretty heavy stuff here including some talk about suicide so if you or anyone you know need support please take control call lifeline on 13 11 14 but i hope you enjoyed this conversation with jared mckenna I'm wrong. Can you can I just get some level from you? Can tell me what you had for breakfast? Sure. Today. Do you want my ABCs breakfast? Uh,
2: breakfast. I had a tra- trail mix of nuts that was uh, put in one of those baskets for welcome to Wollongong. And uh, so um, trail mix it was. Is that enough? Um, no, no, it wasn't. <laughs> there's <laughs> some bananas. Do so you want a banana? <laughs> I'll get I would banana. I would love a banana. Yeah, like you if I'm would so so be Awesome. It. Thanks, man.
3: No, no, you got it. You got it.
2: Thanks Osha. There
3: you go No worries They've probably travelled 5,000 kilometres to be here You may as well eat them
2: Our world
3: (laughs) Isn't it Amazing Isn't it it something else Incredible Eat a banana Down here So far away from Where bananas come from Why is that doing that? Alright I'm not happy with this thing flashing So you know what Um, I'm going to do? I'm going to just have a failsafe and I'll put this on flight mode. Mm, do you need mine the going, same? No, you do whatever you want. Um, recorder, and I'm just going to pop it in the middle there, just in case. Yes, access microphone, just in case, just in case. Nice. All right, eat your banana, mate. Enjoy, no, eat your banana. Take your time, <laughs> take your time. Um,
2: Have you ever heard Martin Luther King's sermon on uh, how interconnected we are? Where he starts with his shower. And he talks about the sponge that he uses and how it's from the Bahamas and the soap and where that came from and then his breakfast and where the milk came from and everything. And he he finishes, um, we're talking about how we are bound together through a a web of inseparability and what affects. One directly affects all indirectly. Um, And uh, injustice everywhere is a threat to justice anywhere. Like, um, it's just... He's right
3: Stunning Yeah (laughs) Yeah, He's right Yeah I do I do think about that sort of thing I I try to think about it a lot Um, Certainly with uh, You know In sobriety um, Gratitude's a big part of that obviously Mm. And um, And and yeah You know Like uh, You know I think about it a lot I remember the day I write about it in the book The day um, The day My ex-wife Said she wants a divorce I called my guy I said hey man I just came from the therapist's office. She wants a divorce. He goes, all right, man, get your book out. Write 10 things you're grateful for. Yeah. I don't think you heard me, mate. I just, she just asked me for a divorce. He goes, yeah. yeah, I heard you. Write 20 things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, ah, okay. Yeah, great. I was, oh, "What have I got to?" Be? He said, did you swing two legs over the bed this morning? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I did. Did you have to go to a river to get the water that you yeah. drank? Did you, could you have a flushable toilet? Can you shower? Does there yeah. warm water come out of the tap? Yeah. There's a lot of people that don't have that. So, yeah, you're right, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, are you a Chancellor rapper fan?
2: Do you know? Chancellor? I know him. Yeah, I'm, I'm... he's got this line um, off coloring book where he talks about he woke me up this morning, which in the black church tradition is a is a way of saying um, it, it was language from once you're in slavery uh-huh. uh, that even the gift of life mm-hmm. and the fact that I was woken up this morning uh, by the I am that. This this mm. is enough. I, I can survive today. Just even being able to wake up. Um, and so it's those, when gratitude becomes a survival mechanism, I think we're starting to touch stuff that goes deeper than, you know, how we present ourselves and ego stuff, right? Yeah,
3: exactly. Do you want more banana? Have more banana, Jared. <laughs> You've got to have some food in you, mate. you got to eat some. Thanks, you. bro. And you're more than welcome to keep eating if you want. It's all good. <laughs> It's all good. You're right there, Frank. You're gonna chill. You're gonna chill, aren't you? All right. Hang on. Anyway, hey Jared. Hey mate. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me over, mate. I'm grateful that you can be here today. I'm sorry that we had to change location uh, today. My apartment's getting renovated. George is away on uh, exchange in uh, Argentina. Yeah. And we chose this day to be like, right, it's the day we'll get sledgies in the bathroom. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> yesterday I was like, oh no, Jared's coming home. <laughs> So thankfully, my manager lives around the corner. So that's awesome. we're, we're at my manager's house. Um, I'm grateful you could be here. You are not often on the east coast. Uh, uh, no, being being a, a Perth lad, um, it's
2: it's a little way away. So it's nice to be over on, on this side. Well, I do. I, I love surfing on the side where the sun gets up while you're in the water. That's uh, that's pretty special.
3: Did you grow up over there?
2: Yeah, um, neither mum nor dad are from Perth, but uh, they met in Perth and stayed in Perth, so born and bred, yeah. Yeah,
3: how did they meet?
2: Uh, work. So um, my mum was chief nurse in charge of intensive care at Royal Perth Hospital, and uh, my dad was also a nurse, and more sensational way of telling it, i leave out details, that dad wasn't actually working under mum at the time of them dating, um, but that... Makes the story sound less exciting. So, uh, but yeah, that's um, my dad had a nursing background because uh, he was in a Catholic religious order. He was a monk and it was a, a nursing order. So, when he left um, that order and backpacked through Afghanistan and lived on a kibbutz in Israel, and um, uh, the rest of his family migrated um, from Northern Ireland uh, via the UK. To Australia, and so he was visiting and trying to save money to go to South America and met my mum, and and he's still in Perth. <laughs> <laughs> that does happen.
3: Did you father? Because I'm interested by this because uh, Charlie Clausen, who's been on this show, mm. was also set for a life of he was lining himself up to to go into a religious order. Yeah, wow. Um, but I'm interested to know: did your father ever talk about? why he went, hmm, this isn't for me. Because that's a, that's a big calling for a young man to go into it and then it's a bigger yeah. calling, I guess, to go, oh, I know everybody, I know ourselves said going to do this, but it's not for me.
2: Totally, Osher. And like one of the things in terms of understanding um, uh, Irish Catholic imagination, um, being in Belfast um, in like, neighbourhood my dad's from, it's it's kind of like saying Watts or Compton if you're in L.A. or it's like saying uh, Southside if you're in Chicago or Mount Druitt if you're here in Sydney Um, so my dad was from this really um, rough area in terms of where his family's from and it was also a status thing, like to, to have one of your kids Tied to the church is like, wow, somebody's made it out, like somebody is somebody. And for my dad to, to walk away from that is also walking away. And the kind of like embarrassment that that also is. And so when dad and I um, went home, quote unquote, I'd never been to Belfast before in my life, but I went with dad in 2015. We were in pubs, including the pub that my great grandfather was blown up in. Oh. <laughs> right. So, th- this is the tour of the neighborhood. Yeah. Um, and people introduced um, uh, my dad as Brother Bernard. And um, like, <laughs> I'm standing there. And I'm like, obviously, you're not still a brother, or this story is a little bit more, yeah. you know, um, risque than uh, people are giving away. But for dad, it was that he didn't feel like what it was he was called to. So he went to his spiritual director and said, um, had taken his initial vows and it was coming to his final vows and he's like, I'm not sure this is what I'm actually called to. And the wisdom of um, who he was under said, um, you spend a month praying about it and, and uh, you, you'll know but serve out the rest of the year. And Dad said it was a couple of weeks and he knew that this wasn't for him.
3: Yeah. Thanks for sharing that because I've I've, I've kind of always been kind of interested in that and like, mm. um, you know, f- for me I I went to a just you know from from where I come you know I went from I went to a religious school in, in Brisbane it was a Christian mm. brothers school but really because that, at the yeah, time right. the state schools in Brisbane weren't that ace mm. it was one but it was very hard to get into so mm-hmm. for the quali- that kind of quality of education in yeah. Brisbane my mum decided to send us there and I remember for me it was just a bit of a disconnect about it but, right. and, and I think it's important that I say this kind of straight up mm. so I learned and sobriety, there's a, there's a very interesting kind of base text that a lot of sobriety is based on, mm-hmm. and um, there's a brilliant line in there that really changed my my life in many ways and opened me up to a lot of wisdom I'd otherwise been shutting myself off. The line just says, "Be quick to see where religious people are right." Mm. Wow. So, while for me, what your father's uh, leader said to him, mm. my the way I say that see that is like, like be deliberately contemplative about this, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, the word pray to me used to Mm. mean so many different things, but now I can, I I kind of see it as like, okay, this is like a deliberate focused, almost meditative state of deliberate contemplation with a larger power than yourself Hmm. that you're considering yourself against. Yeah. And I guess after, you know, a few short weeks of that, it's pretty clear. Yeah, and like the the
2: naaa language around a, a power greater than ourselves. AA has this wonderful way of cutting through all bullshit and i mean that as a theological term like uh, yeah. I, I mean yeah. that um that it's not being good but being true that'll actually save um and what it is to face ourselves and uh you know uh our desires to be seen in in ways that and religion is one of the best places to hide from the divine, like
3: <laughs> the, that hey let's unpack that that's interesting because i I'm sure you've seen that. I've seen it. What do you mean by that
2: that um you know it's uh, so often uh, uh, morality becomes concern in such a way that it's a, a game of control that even um, uh, prayer and what we project upon uh, what we mean when we talk of God is a way of going to, I need a sense of the world is all right. I need a sense of I'm all right. And so instead of facing what's actually going on for us right now, we cover over it with pat answers and quick fixes and simple solutions that um, drown out all mystery and we're just left with a fluorescent light of what well, is only half-truths. And the, the danger of that is it actually it mitigates against what would otherwise transform us. So you can get enough religion to keep you from God, but not enough to bring you to the kind of humility that would lead to real encounter. And I think AA has a wonderful, often every week at where I pass, we talk about, about Welcome to Sinners Anonymous, <laughs> and, and not as a kind of like, oh, you're fundamentally bad or whatever, but just being honest about how problematic and broken we all are, right? Like our, our desperate need for mercy, like in, in, in ways that um, hard to put language around how much we seek to hide from each other and, and from what's really true, um And so we end up so isolated and lonely and and paranoid and um uh instead of being able to breathe through this moment and realize that, as you were saying at the start, it's a gift right now
3: yeah it's a gift i would, i would I'd definitely want to get to that because that's that's the thing I'd really like to talk to you about um but I'd love to just kind of paint a bit more of the picture so people can kind of understand hmm. where you come from because this might be the first time many people are meeting you. Sure. Even though you are a very high-profile person, there's always going to be someone who's like, who's that guy? Who are these two guys? You know? Uh, <laughs> uh, so are you one of many kids? Yeah, there's uh, me and Alicia.
2: So um, both both of us got our um, Irish Catholic father's last name and both of us have nods to mum's um, Russian Jewish heritage. So Alicia is spelled like Elisha. Um, uh, as in the uh, the early Hebrew prophet, yeah. and uh, my middle name is Mum's maiden name Saul, so um I'm Jared Saul McKenna, and my sister Alicia is two years younger than me, and um she's great, she's yeah. funny, she's great on dance floor um she's um, she's a lot of fun, and uh, um she's very conscientious and diligent and thoughtful, uh, and she's uh, a wonderful mum of two gorgeous boys who I babysit. Once a week, and I love being an uncle. They're very, very special. It means I only get to change like one or two nappies a week, which is like a, a ratio which uh, I don't mind. Um, so <laughs> <laughs>
3: that's
2: um, uh, my son, uh, Tyson, was a, a ready made. Uh, yeah. So he, he was 10 when I became his dad, and he's 21 now. So he's six foot five and yeah. tall, dark, and handsome. And that's a giveaway that we don't share the same genes. That, uh-huh. like, <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, and just recently um, I have two more um, ready-made beautiful boys, Hugo and Winston. Winston's 10 and Hugo's 8. Um, so, yeah, I'm one of two kids, to answer your question. Right, right.
3: That's <laughs> uh, funny, Gigi was 10 when I showed up too. Wow. Yeah, so it's yeah. A, it was in, it's an interesting time because you just miss the super cuddly, like even cuddling strangers part, and uh. you're just starting to get the, mm, I don't know who you are part. Yeah. Yeah, so... That, that that was interesting. I
2: yeah, think. and there's a self that emerges that is kind of going, Where where do I fit? Yeah. And, and what does this
3: look like? And yeah. It was yeah. yeah. It's an incredible privilege to be a oh, part it's of extraordinary. Yeah. I I take it I take it very seriously. I and I'm sure you felt the same way. Like from one day to the next, you was my girlfriend's kid one day mm. and the next day I woke up like we were just hanging out and then one day I was like, I would do anything it takes to save your life. Yeah. I would die if it meant saving you. Yeah. And everything like I just woke up one morning and that was it. Yeah. The day before she was just this fun kid that I hung out with. And the next day my everything was different. Yeah. There's a switch somewhere like a like a giant fuse box in your head, right? Yeah. And there's this like one of the switches just flicks on and that's it. Yeah. And it, it was really transformative for me.
2: Uh, Tyson once had this reaction in front of me with some of his friends, mm-hmm. where one of his friends said, Oh, so Jared's your stepdad. And Tyson just turned and looked at his friend in the eye and said, No, he's my dad. And I appreciate it so much because it's my reaction as well that, like, um, there's a sense of of grace there that um, this isn't a secondary to something else. Uh, Some of the best advice my dad is this really um, uh, dry, witty, like um, deeply intelligent dude, but he's also wise because you Mm. can have smart people who aren't necessarily wise people. And Dad had this little bit of advice where he said, regardless of your relationship with Tyson's mum, and this is when we first started dating, you, you need to relate to Tyson in such a way that you'll be able to be a consistent influence like this f- for the rest of his life, regardless of the relationship. And I'm so glad for that, because what it did for me is go, "Whoa, I shouldn't overcommit here, which I've seen friends do, and then relationships end, and the kids are devastated, um, or th- um, create this distance, because they're like, oh, I don't want to pretend to be something that I'm not. But instead, regardless, how do I stay in um, this young person's life in such a way that, uh, like a, an uncle or a neighbour or someone in the village that they're growing up in, and just be this kind of influence that he, he is a model of what it is to be human and all our brokenness, and try and do that with a, a, a sense of like kindness,
3: um, which I, I'm deeply appreciative for. You mentioned that you mentioned that you were you you have a fine art background. What drew you to terrible pun but it's right after father's day so i don't care (laughs) what what drew you to what drew you to that as a creative outlet what did you like about it (laughs) i'm sure it was the only
2: good thing i could it was the only thing i was good at like um uh i'm dyslexic and i I have add um and so being uh quote-unquote neurologically diverse like i'm i'm 37 now and i'm still on medication uh Every day, and have been since I was like 12 years old. In terms of, um, and I've got type 2 ADD, so I'm not the hyperactive, I'm actually more like hypo. You find me in a tree drawing or writing poetry and not really contributing to society. If, um, uh, well, I mean, that said, I, I think um, part of the contribution of those. Um, With dyslexia or ADD or um, uh, learning difficulties generally is different ways of seeing and being and that kind of stuff. So it was one of the only things I got affirmation for at school is that um, I sucked at reading and maths I couldn't see the use for at all. And I uh, would always get report cards that said smart kid could do well if he applied himself, despite the fact I was busting <laughs> my gut, like just to try and get some approval from a teacher. Did we have
3: the same math teacher? Because that's what he taught right, yeah, me as yeah, well. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Totally. Um, and art was one of the things that um, I could do. So, that was the initial attraction. This is my only way into university. Yeah. And uh, I sucked through high school. And it wasn't until I got to uni that I started to get good grades, really, for How did for that make you summer.
3: feel, like having... And I, I certainly can relate to that. There's um, members of my family, and exactly that. There's members of my family who are, are dyslexic. But mm. it, through that, they've gone okay. But they are now just like learned a second language. Yeah. And you know, <laughs> just soaring yeah. because of the way they've had the coping way they've had to reteach themselves how to learn. Just, yeah, totally. Yeah, fascinating, fascinating. Uh, but yeah, definitely like the. The whole, like my whole teenage years, are being told, "Nah, you're you shit." Yeah, and then, that's right. And then in tertiary education, I, for me, it was I went to go do a music course, and suddenly huh. I'm getting honours and everything. I'm like, "Hang on, this feels good." Yeah. Uh, so, how did that feel when you got accepted into this thing and you're suddenly surrounded by your people?
2: Yeah, I, I've had to work really hard to make sure that um, other people's definition of success isn't what I waste my life on, because there's so much pressure to to get that which people said you shouldn't have or you don't deserve or you're not smart enough for or whatever, that it can be easy to waste your life. Thomas Merton talks about so many of us spend our whole lives climbing a ladder and those who get to the top find that it's actually against the wrong wall. And I, um, I'm really uh, thankful I mean, again, come back to gratitude. I was about to say I'm really thankful that I had devastating moments that made me question all that, because the reality was I was 20 years old. I've never... I think I've... I've only ever talked about this twice in public, so you're about to... Um, I was 20 years old, and I was accepted into an art exhibition at MoMA in New York, the Museum of Modern Art. David Bowie was in the same exhibition... Um, and so that's a, I'm still in art school at Curtin University. Um, that's a lot of success, really young. My best friend Christian DeVitri, his last artwork, um, the Spander sculpture, 1.3 million was the price tag on it. So he's doing really well. And still, there's those moments of, um, oh, what am I doing with my? Like so many of my mates, like here's my second investment property, and um, it's like, what, what am I really doing? Like. Um, uh, how, I think the work of spending time in the silence where we find an identity that's deeper than how we're named by either people's negative projections or positive projections um, is so important to find a definition of success that comes from that place instead of um, that stuff that's put onto us. Because otherwise we'll spend our whole lives desiring things that people have taught us to desire and never listening to what is it we actually are made for and created for and um, find our home in being. And so that's been a really difficult journey for me.
3: Say so someone's just heard you say that sentence. Well, that's, that's, you'd, like, there's no wonder you're a preacher because you just drop bombs. every <laughs> sentence. Say <laughs> so someone's just heard that and gone, uh, oh, hang on, my ladder's against the wrong wall. I feel that mm. like I'm just trying to do the things that everyone told me to do. What are some questions you might ask yourself to check?
2: Yeah, that's, so, that's such a great question. Um and I I want to affirm questions first off. Like I'm fascinated that so many religious people want to give answers. Um Jesus, who, you know, I'm a preacher, he's kind of my dude, right? Like he's he it, goes with the job literally. Um he asked 307 questions in the gospels. And yet religious people are so quick to give answers. I think to actually stay with the questions, and my dad is a spiritual director now. He um, encourages people to ask questions like, where did you find life today? Like, this day that you've had, when when did you actually feel alive? What, what brought you to that place of awe or wonder um, or that intuitive sense of, um, there is more here that brings me alive? And the opposite questions are really helpful as well. Um, When did I just feel like I switched off? When did I feel dead? And um, Ignatian spirituality will actually encourage that to daily journal those things, what brought me life and what felt like death. And to, to make a record of that, it's a really helpful way to actually see what we're actually addicted to. And the the things that bring us life that lasts versus is an escapist thing that takes us out of life that seems to soothe the pain for a while and bring us into a deeper pain afterwards, instead of that being about a moralizing external set of rules, it can be about a deep listening to the mercy that is present in our life and go, okay, how do I start plotting those things? So I spend more of my life and more of my days doing the stuff that actually makes me alive and uh, um, one of the patristics um, talks about the the glory of God as a human being fully alive so I think I think we we owe it to ourselves and the world to find out what it is to be fully alive and that's going to look different for different people different passions different talents different gifts but one of the giveaways for me is um my gorgeous wife Kat she talks about that spiritualities of sacrifice which can be very impressive, always leave our ego at the center, because they're always about us. While spiritualities of, of mercy, of hased of, of unfailing kindness, they always move us towards others. So if you have a sense of what brings you alive, and then ask the question, how can I do what brings me alive to give life to others? I think that's an amazing place to start for all of us.
3: Now, can be we- yeah as, as quite could be quite confronting like it can be almost like the, this is the house i grew up in and suddenly i'm opening a door that's to a room that i've never on oh my goodness now this is in here yeah it could be quite confronting but if and, and like the daily journaling thing is something I talk about a lot. Yeah, it's a it's a really powerful way. If you've written the same thing down for five days in a row, like maybe there's something. Yeah. <laughs> maybe there's maybe there's something. There's here. something
2: being spoken right here. here. Yeah, does it
3: feel does it feel nice to call your wife? It's only been about ten days.
2: Yeah, it's um <laughs> and and we eloped uh, as yeah, well, which was like <laughs> really really exciting. Um, and I'm we'll,
3: all I'm all about that. I'm all about just going and get it done. Yeah, totally.
2: Um, yeah, she's. Amazing. I, I I listen to you talk of Audrey, and I'm like, Amen. Like that's my story. That's my testimony. That's <laughs> yeah. my song, right there. Like it's, um, uh, and even the parallels. Like um, they're both makeup artists. Oh, really? Like um, so, Cat uh, lived in Brooklyn for eight years and worked for uh, Missoni and um, Victoria's Secret and Nike as a makeup artist, and uh, that was her world. And there's a fascinating book by uh, an um, Oxford uh, professor who teaches in psychology and it's on something like the gift of of the wisdom of psychopaths. And he lists the 10 occupations where you're most likely to find psychopaths. And at number eight, is religious leaders. So that there's a warning for me. At number three is media personalities. So there's a warning for you. But in terms of the, um, the love of our lives, at number five in the list of jobs least likely is um, beauticians, makeup artists, um, and hairdressers. And it's, it's a profession which, if somebody was to go, oh, it's pretty surface, isn't it? Um, but it's all about making somebody else. Beautiful. It's all about making somebody else go. And you look at the list again of what actually, um, what's the common thing between these two lists. Psychopaths, are, they're attracted to coercive power, while the jobs least likely to find psychopaths actually practice what I would name as a different kind of power. A power without coercion it's it 's the power of compassion, so at number one is um, carer for others, whether it be elderly or people with disabilities, but um, also uh, doctors um, aid workers and the the list is made up of people whose whose jobs themselves are other centered um, which I find fascinating like how 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 is it um, and goes back to that thing about who's taught us to desire what. And if it's coercive power that actually um, is corrupting and uh, turns us away from who we truly are, how do we find with those gifts and talents, how do we move that in a direction that is for others and find that um, life isn't about us, but we can be about life? And that's such a different
3: way of seeing the world. I'm sure you found the same thing after a after a big day at work, say, for example, if Audrey's working on a TV show and, uh, let's say, for example, I don't know, it's like it's, sometimes she does it's things like game shows where you're taking mm. people that don't work on uh-huh. television and you're getting them ready to be on camera and she'll do 20 in a day and it's just absorbing all that nervous energy yeah, and making wow. this person then feel great. Yeah, All right, but that's the job. The job isn't putting the thing on the face. The job is helping this person change their status yeah. from fear to oh i feel good now yeah but at the end of the day she comes home and she's got all this weight on her man
2: i'm sure you've noticed the same thing yeah yeah totally it can be tough yeah and um in terms of healthy forms of uh being a a pastor what it is to it to wear. Or cat now for the last two years has been a primary school teacher and um uh we talk about individuals but we're we are caught up in this network of mutuality, as Martin Luther King talks about it. And so what, what does affect one directly does affect all indirectly. And so our work to do the work of dealing with not our morality games or our um, goodness games, but actually what is it to face the truth of what we do with our pain, which I think reveals who we truly are, what we do w- with our pain. Um, that affects everybody else. they both in both senses, that if we're doing the tough work of facing that stuff in ourselves, it's a gift for others. But what Audrey walks home with that stuff, um, being able to, to shower and let that stuff go and return to that place of where do I find the silence that starts to sing with the gentleness and tenderness of who I really am above how people name me. And the difficulty for um, your profession and mine is that People project onto us a whole bunch of stuff where they're not really interested in Osha or Jared. They're interested in what they think Osha and Jared is. Mm. Not am, but it, it, like it functions in the same way that characters in Dream functions. It's, it this is a part of myself that I'm using to paint with you because mm. you've become an icon, a symbol of something negative or positive in me. That's actually got nothing
3: to do with me. And I'd imagine you would you would find this and I'm certainly, I'm guilty of it because early on in my idol career, I mean, this mm. is before I was got sober and before I had to um, be quick to see where religious people are right, um, I would go, because a lot of the kids, you know, if you're 15 and you like singing, yeah, that's right. You know, you <laughs> what can, other place in culture affirms that
2: in such a way that music is lifted up? Yeah, if you're, 15, if you're
3: 15 or 16 years old and you like singing, you can sing with a singing teacher and wait maybe for the school hall concert once a month. Or every Sunday here in Sydney at least where I've been to, you know, film some of these people, you can stand in front of 8,000 people yeah. who will jump off their chairs at the end of your song and just just cover you in boundless rapturous applause yeah. every week. Yeah, yeah. Who doesn't want that? Sure. But when I when I came, when I got to go to those places, I did get a bit thrown by, you know, the opulence, that's uh-huh. the word i use, yeah. of the place. Sure. And – like the ATMs and stuff like that was a little bit much for me, Jared. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, no, I get and I, it. I was get quick it. to go. This is a racket. Not yep. interested in this. Um, I'm sure I'm not alone in having that uh, perception. As you no, just mentioned, paint me with that brush. Yeah, the work you are doing as far as spreading mercy and compassion and kindness and keeping people alert to this idea of being addicted to a culture of fear and finding safety in uh, anyone that's not uh, us versus them. uh, That's just far too important. And um, like I said, there's been a change in my life. I don't feel that way anymore, but I'm Mm. sure I'm not alone in having felt that. Do you find that people write you off because of the fact that you – do work in those environments. Yeah, I face the, and I guess
2: why this is so important to my my daily practice is finding um, my identity in, um, well, and honestly, in how I'm named in my baptism, that um, uh, that I, I'm a child of God, and that's it, and that's enough, and that kind of radical acceptance. I, I listened to your episode with Audrey, and it was like what you have found there if if that is the greatest experience of, of grace what i'm trying to say is that god is at least as good as audrey right <laughs> and and to take to take um wh- whoever is that like that person of unfailing kindness and forgiveness and and grace and mercy who sees all of it and loves us not despite of it but actually somehow even because of it like, sees all of that and still loves us and still thinks there's a deeper us than the worst things that we've done. Coming back to that experience and going that that which animates all things sees me at least as compassionately as the Audrey's or the cat's or the whoever else who's that experience for us is is why we can't let those things name us. And those who are doing the real work, it's not just about... Because, you know, it, it's it's easy to be super Spiro. And, um, uh, like, you, you know, when you're on a stage and there's lights and there's there's everything that the world desires, it's like, I have something important to say. And then people think it's also from God. I mean, that's a serious trip, right? Like, that's... there's incredible spiritual dangers in that and addictive cycles in that where you can end up thinking um, it's because of how this sermon affected people that I have importance or it's because, quote unquote, how God used me. The whole language of um, God, like I feel uh, uh, the more time I spend in the silence, God doesn't use, God enjoys and and works with and wants to play and just um, fondly, like we're in front of, um, fridges with kids' drawings, and sometimes I think the best we can offer is is you know these drawings, which are delightful that I heard a friend say, God sticks on god's fridges <laughs> and it's and that sense of that playfulness. And if that's real, we'll find ourselves in the same kind of places, that it's not just on stages, but sometimes it's in prison cells, or it's in the back of police wagons, or it's um, three o'clock in the morning and it's freezing and you're trying to find a shelter for someone who otherwise doesn't have a place to stay, or somebody who you've seen such incredible transformation, it's four in the morning and they're screaming abuse at you and threatening um, those you love most because they're back on the stuff. And um, that's the real test is not praying on street corners, but who we are when no one's watching, Um, where there are no lights, there's no cameras, there's just um, have I soaked myself enough in the love that is there for me if I open to it? that I can respond with that same love to those who are acting like my worst self in this moment to me. And I think, I think that's the real journey.
3: You do a lot of work, and the, the way I found you is the work you do uh, as far as highlighting the plight of refugees, and particularly our country's treatment of children. Sure. Who have no choice in yeah. how they have come to be incarcerated mm. with my tax dollars. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert! If this is your first podcast with me, it's not something I'm happy about. (laughs) However, there's 250 other episodes that might have given you a clue to that. (laughs) It's not something I'm happy about that this is being done with my money. That you know I've worked hard for, and I've given someone this money as part of my taxes to help me have a nice society to live in, and I don't consider that to be a good use of that money. So, Mm. um. It seems that a lot of the communication that you do around that is to people from outside of your um, yeah of your church of yeah, your yeah. religious organization. what have you found is the the best way to connect to people who uh, are either agnostic or don't believe in any kind of spiritual power and mm. let's say you know are stuck in this cycle of being addicted to fear and yeah. us and them and oh, no way they'd know they want to come here and kind of like just in this other world of labeling who this person is, even though this person's, you know, eight. Yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> What's the best way that you've found to communicate with people outside of that? I think it's about what it is to be
2: human, Osha. Like at the center of, of my faith, if I take it seriously, is the claim that um, God Almighty has become all vulnerable In becoming human. And so spirituality for me is about becoming more human. And to return people to the humility of what it is to to be alive, I think is really important. In my workshops, I actually start by people spending time sharing their name, which sounds kind of mundane until you remember that our names contain stories. Even the changing of our names contains stories. Tell me about it. (laughs) right yeah yeah and um uh i think because you've been deliberate about that what, what does redemption look like for me in the way that i'm named and to to be named for joy for happiness um uh while it's also your last name that tells a story and so many of us particularly those of us who are recently white like um uh whether it's um one generation away from the, the struggle of the troubles on my dad's side of the family, or mum's side of the family in terms of being Russian Jews, it's very easy to give up your your ancestry and the stories of um, struggle and uh, resilience and um, the the depth of capacity for empathy in those stories for the benefits of just being white and to realise that white is just an, a myth it's it's something that It's a much longer conversation, the history of that myth and how it became uh, central in Australia. But the two things that are true of Australia simultaneously is that in 1901, when we became a federation, we were set up as a utopia of equality and we like that and we talk about mateship and we do all that kind of stuff. And in the same week in Parliament, white Australia policy is passed because that utopia of equality is threatened by other races who were there because of the gold rush. And for us to name that and tell our stories, tell our names, is to enter into a humility that the oldest living cultures in the world have been here for 80,000 years. And to enter into, like, instead of the default factory settings for Australian is white, Um, where my son constantly gets asked where he's from and no one ever asks me, but I've got a story to tell as well. But whether um, it's, like, colonisers or convicts or the colonised or immigrants, um, or those seeking safety in Australia, that's a story with incredible resources for humility, for empathy. And so by telling our names and actually recovering the fact that, I say in in the start of workshops, if your families have been here for 60,000, 70,000, 80,000 years, it's fine to say you're Australian. But for the rest of us who might have memories that only go back 200 years, we have to talk about what came before that so we can start a conversation about who's arriving now with a sense of humility that we have stories that are much older than the stories we tell. And to actually name, um, I actually think it's the spirituality of white supremacy. We often use spirituality only in a positive sense, but I think there are negative spiritualities as well that um, animate certain imaginations that forget um, what we seek to cover up. And we often talk about human rights when talking about refugees, Honestly, I don't think most people really care about human rights. They go to human rights because they're like, this is something that affirms something deeply that I know. But we have this sense of the oldest and most ancient human wrongs. And um, in the uh, Hebraic traditions, the Jewish traditions and the Christian tradition, it's um, one brother kills another and hides the body. And there's that still ancient sense of human wrongs where we try and assert our power by hiding bodies and we hide them under flags, we hide them under monuments, we hide them under national anthems, we hide them under... um, And that's the 114 children that you mentioned in Nauru. It's that same ancient human wrong that we're trying to create an us and we need a them to make an us. And I think if we name that for what it is and remember our stories, we can actually enter into a deeper story and our resources of compassion that are there.
3: Sorry, I'm just kind of covered in goosebumps right now. Uh, (laughs) The the way you said that was, we we needed them to make an us. Mm. That's, uh, yeah. And The the really scary thing, Osher, is it's
2: those of us most recently in, in that sense that the most. If you want to hear the most blatant racism in Australia, jump in a taxi and somebody with a thick accent who is scared that they're not us enough yet will turn around and make a them out of the most recent in. So through a thick Lebanese accent, you'll hear talk of the Sudanese in ways that you're like, bro, do you need a hug? Like, it's okay, you're, you're as Aussie as the rest of us. We don't need to take it out on the Sudanese.
3: It's fascinating you say that. It was a couple, it was a couple of years ago. It was, it was right after 9-11, actually, my big brother told me. He jumped in a cab in Melbourne. And um, he jumped in a cab with a, a Greek guy. Huh. And the Greek guy said, you know what, the best thing that ever happened to us Greeks, I think you might have used the word wogs, the best thing ever to happen to us bogs was when the Vietnamese came. Yeah, Totally. Because it was no longer (laughs) us, you know, we were the the ones. And he said the best thing that happened to the Vietnamese was when the Lebanese came. The best thing that happened to Lebanese was when the Sudanese came. And um, (laughs) it's what
2: Hollywood movies get wrong about their high school depictions. They always depict that the really cool kids are the mean kids. That's not how human societies work. Those who are at the top of the social food chain are oblivious to what's happening below. It's those who are vulnerable and are only just made it in. They're the ones that turn around and take it out on the next through. And this way of, you, you don't need a common God to unite people, just a common devil. And if you can create a common devil out of those Muslims, those gay and lesbian people, those, like, those, those prisoners, though like and there's ways of going, if we can make this about goodness games, morality games, instead of the mercy that we all need, which so much of religion will do instead of bringing us into an encounter with the mystery that we can't name other than our poor attempts to, um, to, to do so. That's the that's pattern we get caught in. And the most vulnerable people will find that they're nasty to people in the office because they fear that they might be the scapegoat if that person's not. Same in the classroom. Same in the social setting, same down at the pub.
3: Until people have heard that, they might have realized that that's a pattern they're a part of. But even just being aware of that, I think even just being aware of that pattern is, an, is going to be transformative to people today. Mm. Just hearing that, hang on a second here. That's just the idea we don't need a common God, we just need a common devil, we don't need a common, we just need a common enemy, yep. all right, to make us united. And then what are we doing and how am I protecting myself? How am I... A getting as far away from that perceived enemy as possible mm-hmm. are my pointing fingers as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very fortunate. It's just been Mel- Melbourne Writers Festival. Yeah, wow. I was, it was great. It was my first writers festival. I, I, I had my Because you've got a book now. i got a book you go. now and I, I have this very pretentious scarf that I walk around. <laughs> um, sorry, we're in Lauren's house and I don't exactly know how to turn the heater on so it's a little cold in here. Um, the, I was fortunate. I was so fortunate to sit. I... I um, hosted a panel hmm. with four pretty much superstars of animal rights in Australia. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, uh, Pamma Hearn, who runs a thing called hmm. Edgar's mission, which rescues, um, uh, the, uh, you know, farm animals, um, uh, Laurie, who runs the coalition against duck hunting, uh, Deb, who runs the, um, Oscar's law against puppy mills hmm. and Wade, who used to work for the coalition for the protection of race horses. So these four people who have seen just nothing, but just decades of, of violence mm. and human cruelty mm-hmm. and directed not only at animals, but also at themselves. Each of them, as we wrapped up every single one of them, even with like, and I were just researching the interview, you know, in, in the day, I was you know, like traumatized by the small amount of video that I watched. Yeah. These are the people shooting the video, all right? Yeah, They're out yeah. there, all right? So they've seen that for decades, every single one of them believed I don't know. Humans are inherently kind. Hmm. <laughs> I was nearly <laughs> in tears on stage wow. because these people have every reason to believe that's not true. Wow. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think that inside us, as humans, we, the needle is just 1% or 2% hmm. further towards kind?
2: Yeah, what? I mean... Uh... The way that our ancestors um, would have talked about it in terms of the Jewish tradition is the, the rabbinical teachings is that um, the axis of whether the world tips towards evil or good is actually determined by how we live our life, that um, uh, both those capacities are there for us and actually the, the, the transformation of those urges to destroy Sometimes talk about it in terms of um, whether you want to use the language of the, the kingdom of God or god 's dream for all of reality that th- there is there is only recycling there is no waste so in, in terms of the darkest things in our life that 's the stuff that is compost the things that we think disqualify us from the journey is actually the things that qualify us because that 's the stuff that 's transmuted translated transfigured, transformed into the the very energy of of what needs to what we need to become people of compassion. And so I try and stay away from the easy language of, oh, we're all basically good, or the pessimistic, oh, we're all basically bad, because we're all basically very confusing. Like there, there is um, a- enough um, uh, to make sinners and dictators out of all of us. And in fact, those, those people with the greatest amount of stuff to work with. And it's why, Oshie, your book is so powerful. It's why people listen to your podcast. They, they might come initially because of your profile with The Bachelor, but why they stay is that they hear, and it's only a matter of like how deep and how wide and it is for all of us, but they hear, here is somebody who is on the genuine journey of how do I transform darkness? How do I see this stuff that would otherwise destroy me become a gift for others? And weekly people are downloading these episodes because you're doing that for people. You're talking not merely about health in terms of self-help, but self-survival. Like, how how do you go from how do I do games of self-improvement into games of actually – it's not mere improvement I need. This isn't about like bad becoming good. This is more like the dead becoming alive, right? Like it's, in, in terms of how desperate this stuff is, like mm. um, the, there is a need for transformation which is much deeper. And so I try and for myself, because I know mm. the spiritual journey is never black and white, um, but often some of the stuff that hints at the real stuff is in reaction to black and white in reaction to the fundamentalism, and it will just say grey. But what we're invited into is life in all its colours. Um, and I mean, at the centre of the tradition that uh, I'm seeking to have name me and be the story that names me, um, is that the, the mystery that we mean when we use terms like God, my tradition dares to name as love. And so what it is to have the mystery named as love and know that we're safe and know that we're loved and know that we're made in the image of love and I can't find my purpose and my meaning until I relax into that love and stop trying to please or avoid punishment or or, or get some, like, carrot for the next life but instead relax into I'm loved and I'm made for love and when I love, I live into my destiny and that is eternity that kind of love and that's a very different journey than the the easy are we good are we bad are are, are we right are we wrong how do i move from here to there and salvation isn't a a moving here to there it's going down in such a way that that darkness to, to quote you know gregory of Nyssa, that mystic from the fourth century when the darkness starts to dazzle with the very presence of the divine that's the journey for all of us and you know it's um it's not nearly as sexy as some of the easy self-help pants. <laughs> right?
3: <laughs> it is, yeah. Uh, though I, I, I personally, like for me, I really resonate. I, I got emotional at that panel on the weekend because yeah, I, totally. I believe it as well. I believe yeah. it, like, if we were inherently evil, we wouldn't have made it this far. Sure. As humans, as a yeah. race, yeah. as a species, yeah. like, we wouldn't have made it this far. Uh-huh because we would have just been too busy knifing each other. Yeah. But we sort of figured out, yeah, it's probably better if we don't just kill each other all the time. Yeah. Let's find a way to kind of be together. There's yeah. As like just 0.1% more than everything else and therefore we turned around as a species and thrived and now kind of threatened a, a lot of just our very existence by how many of us there are. Um, but that's not the story. <laughs> um, Yet, yeah, we, if we are kind oh of, God, We could could talk all day, man. Um, But I do want to get to this because you've set an extraordinary deadline. You've set November 20th uh, Mm. as as a humongous deadline. Could you tell people what we'd like to happen by November 20th? Yeah, Kids Off Nauru is um,
2: agencies right across Australia from Oxfam to to World Vision to the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre to uh, church groups, synagogue groups who have all said that this is unacceptable. We don't care what your politics are. It's just for we can't continue to torture children and call it creating security or safety, that um, we have to let these 114 children, who many of whom have grown up in detention, out, out of those that are there, um, there's a number under the age of 10 who have committed suicide, which is... I mean, how do you even start to talk about that, that our government... A taxpayer's money has created realities that children are seeking to end the lives that they've barely begun to live. Um, I was sitting down to dinner last night with a guy named Fabian from Germany, who's doing an internship with a a church in Wollongong. And he said to me, this is what Nazi Germany did. He said, you are calling children by numbers. I said, mate, no Australian wants to hear that. And his response was, every Australian needs to hear that. And what kidsoffnaru.com provides is a way for those who are listening right now who feel like that to simply go and add their voice. Um, this is like a, a push for us to go... Let's get these children out. Let, let's actually do this now. We can do this. There are enough people who, and I mean, you know, these aren't high ideals. This isn't the golden rule of do unto others as you'd want them to do to you. This is just a silver rule of don't totally screw over others as you wouldn't want to be screwed over, right? Like, And to, to remember that like, I think we the litmus test of who we are as a nation is how we treat the most vulnerable. And who's more vulnerable in society than children? And these are children leaving ward zones seeking safety and we're responding to them with cruelty and selling to each other, literally selling to each other, the kind of fear that says well, what, what we really need to be horrified at is those who are vulnerable and need a safe place.
3: What's the biggest argument against you? What are people kind of galvanising to go, we can't do that, Jared. if we do that?
2: Um, fear isn't rational, so it doesn't matter that the, you know, the biggest issues in terms of, um, you know, domestic violence and the, the partner that you know is more likely if you're a woman to take your life than a man you don't down the street, that, that's Australia, that's Australia in 2018, or the reality of, and, and I'm aware for your own personal story, but just, like, um, There is an ecological reality that we're facing Mm -hmm. that um, our great-grandchildren, we need to respond to. And um, uh, these are the biggest threats, but it's much easier in the same way that Jews were talked about in Nazi Germany to talk about Muslims today and um, to say, no, 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 our decency, our mateship, our mercy ends at this border. And because you look like this, You speak like this, you believe this, it doesn't extend to you. And so despite the fact, like, I live daily with 11 recently arrived refugees. And these are people who, you know, I literally live with friends who have scars on their body from the Taliban, some of whom watched Taliban kill their family. They were fleeing this kind of terrorism. And people on the street have called them terrorists. And you think about the kind of trauma that that... that, but. This is the nature of trauma and how trauma replicates itself. And I think if Australia, if we don't deal with our past and actually our anxiety that this land was stolen and now we fear it being stolen from us, if we actually don't do that work, we can't enter into a rational space where, I mean, forget spirituality. Let's just talk about basic human decency. These are people needing safety, And it's like, oh, what are we going to do? What creative, imaginative thing? Just carbon copy what Australia did in the 70s under a liberal government. We led the region in compassionate solutions to those needing safety. We can do that again. This isn't like far lefty kind of idealism, utopianism. This is actually what has been happening previously in Australia's history. You're talking about the
3: evacuation. Fraser. Fraser with the Vietnamese. Exactly. It was extraordinary. Like, I've got, again, goosebumps, second time. It was extraordinary that we did that as a nation. Yeah. That we went, here's a people trapped. Yeah. They were trapped on an island somewhere in the Philippines. There was a couple hundred of them, I think. Yeah. And i like, nah, nah. And this is the Liberal government yep. in, at the time, in the 70s. I think we're yeah. conservative now. Yeah. go back 40 years. Yeah. And they went, nah, and they sent Qantas planes there. And there's footage of on the planes, and they're, they're packed. Look, it looks like those um, airlifts that uh, the Israelis did. Yeah. those out of Ethiopia. Ethiopia it looks like yeah. that. Uh-huh. they're packed. And they got them here, and they got them safe.
2: Yeah. And we did. So people that. are like, how are we going to stop the boats? Well, send our own boats and make safe passage. Like it's World Vision did that, World Vision Australia did that in the 70s and Australians supported them, said this is wonderful, this is exactly what we need to do. Because refugee wasn't heard in the same way that like the word pedophile was heard. It used to mean somebody needing refuge, as in somebody who just needs safety. I need a safe place because I'm running from war. And the world said... And Australia led in drafting these laws into international law that we will never forget what happened to 6 million people in Nazi Germany and the fact that the anti-Semitism that was around the world at the time allowed it to happen. People didn't go to war to fight Hitler because what was happening to the Jews. People didn't know what was happening to the Jews until afterwards. We spin the story that way so it looks a lot more heroic. And we said, never again will we turn away people needing safety. And it's those same commitments that Australia is now leading the world and walking away from, and America is currently following at the moment. And it's why Donald Trump, in his league conversation with our former Prime Minister, said, that's a good idea. We should do that too. You're worse than me. Those three sentences, word by word, in that order. And that's some of the stuff we're currently seeing in the US at the moment.
3: Oh, man. Uh, so let's... If we were going to talk to someone who is fed or not through fed, no, just exposed to through no want of exploring any other option, a diet of I can't be compassionate to these people. I mm. have to draw a line somewhere. Mm. What how would you appeal to that person to at least see a glimpse of what you're talking about? I'm not saying yeah, yeah. say come along with me. Yeah. I'm just saying here's a here's a pathway to you going all right, I can see why you want to do that.
2: Sure. And we talked at the start that like um, religion is a great place to hide from spiritual transformation. I think um, one of the most popular forms of religion that, and both of us because of our desperation and needing transformation want to avoid this kind of stuff, is that it's the more woke than thou kind of, oh, listen to this politic, uh, you know, podcasts or read this blog or whatever. So, I've got something else to affirm I'm good, they're bad. And yet my experience of like for the last 15 years living with people who would otherwise be homeless or drug addicted or in the last six years in particular living with people who are asylum seekers and refugees, people with horrible kind of beliefs towards who refugees are when they meet these people, they're often the people who become like the most passionate volunteers and then advocates. And uh, some of the best refugee rights groups in Australia are like um, rural refugee groups who um, they would use terms that some of us would go, oh, that's that's awful, it's actually racist. And yet they're they're doing the work. And there's a danger for um, uh, inner-city hipster kind of Lefty types to have all the arguments and never actually get involved with these people. So some of the work I think we need to do is um, make sure that this doesn't become arguments for why we're better. Uh, But actually, for me, any of my activism, whether it's... um, you know, like hanging six stories up over the foreign minister's office on a um, tree sit off the side of a building or being like smuggled into Manus' detention centre or um, locking on with chains around our next to Kirribilli house. They're not acts of we're right, but actually owning that Australia is wrong. And these are our sins. I'm not better than this. I'm actually trying to do my own work of transforming this old-school way of putting it in my tradition is repentance, which isn't like, hey, I'm trying to be a better person, but, hey, I'm part of the problem. And it starts with, like, admitting we've got a problem, right? That's the, the language of um, the AA journey is the first step of sobriety is realizing that we're actually addicted to moral self-justification games that make us better than others. After nearly nearly 20 years of visiting prison, And spending time and, um, you know, uh, Tom Ballard and Will Anderson have come out and they didn't publicise it, they didn't tweet about it, but um, took them to meet some of the people that I visit in prison and they did, like, shows for for these guys. Um, And I don't think Will would mind me saying that. He came out, like, and deeply moved. and It's like this is one of the most meaningful gigs I've ever done in my life. And it's not meaningful because I'm being a good person. It's because you're face-to-face with this could be me. If if I had only done that while completely off my nut instead of that, that could be me. If I had said yes to that, which I knew was slightly on the dodge instead of going for something else because it was actually better for me, but if I thought that investment opportunity was better, I would have done that, that could have been me in terms of that white-collar crime. If I had had the same parents they had, if I had experienced the same abuse they did, if I had been addicted to ice when they were... That's the humbling journey. And I hope people hear this stuff and don't go, aren't we? I mean, my friends on Manus need something more than our self-justifying morality games. They need us to become more fully human. They need real compassion. I talked to Beru's, um, uh, when was it, Friday, because I was sharing about meeting him on Saturday. And I asked him again, well, what do you want me to say to these, you know, 600 people that I'll, I'll speak to tomorrow? And he said, I don't want your empathy. Tell them to buy my book. <laughs> <laughs> and what I love about that, like, is that why people should buy Osher's book, why people should buy barus 's book, is that the, the cheap kind of empathy thing, once we know people's story, we do know how to respond. If we hear the stories, we know how to act. And that's why, like, we don't go to like movies and go, oh, my goodness, you know, um, Black Klansman was incredible. What are three practical points for applying this to my life? No, it would be insult Spike Lee. Like great artworks haunt us, trouble us in such ways that we live differently. Great sermons do the same thing. Uh, Great music does the same thing. It makes me see the world differently in such a way that the the poetics which I've been affronted with demand me to become something which I couldn't see myself being previously. And that's the kind of thing we need. We need more poetics and less politicking. We need a more human, decent kind of response that calls us to actually face our darkness instead of the self-propaganda selfies of, look at me as a person Mm. better, as a person of light. That's the kind of stuff that's ruining us.
3: So to say, like, because everyone's going to have a conversation with someone in their life Mm. who will be like, yeah, but we can't let those kids off. Is the way in what you just described, is the way in trying to find a way of getting that person to, even though, um, you know, you just said, don't have empathy for me, is the way just trying to put yourself in that situation? Try and look, as you mentioned before, look back at your hereditary journey yeah. and yeah, see yeah. where in that journey something similar happened yeah. and notice that there really is no difference between what happened to that person and what happened yeah. to the, this child. This
2: child. So I, I sometimes literally, usher, um like and almost as a way of grounding myself because people come up to me and say the most like, vile things sometimes. Um and they do it A, because they're like, Oh, you're a Christian, you have to forgive me. So here's your chance, Pastor. Make sure that like you actually respond like something. That's a Bill Hicks line. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, really? Yeah, yeah.
3: You're a Christian. I hate what you said. Really? <laughs> forgive me. <laughs> it's a great line.
2: And so as a way of grounding my myself and actually leading into that, to ask people their name again. Not as a change of conversation, but, like, let's do a slight detour and um, bring you into... So, before you considered yourself Australian, what was your family's story? And it's like, oh, yeah, my family's name was Mikalski before we, like, Anglicised it. And, yeah, like, they were part of the Solidarity Movement in Poland, but, you know, all that's behind us now. And and actually going, okay, let's dig in there And spend time there and then go, what gifts out of your own story, if people are able to imaginatively and empathetically identify with the suffering of others then we're in a different space. But so often we want to destroy and win arguments. Um, Wendell Berry, who's this magnificent poet and writer, he's got this story, Jaber Crow, and he talks about being in a barbershop setting in the South in America in the 1960s and hearing these white racist people say this kind of stuff. And he starts saying, well, I think we need to love our enemies. I think we need to... And starts quoting, you know, all that Jesus stuff that many of us Christians don't like to talk about because it's too confronting, so we just tell people they're wrong instead. (laughs) And so he he starts talking about this and how the, the whole barbershop went silent. And he writes, this would have been a great victory for my faith. If only I'd loved my enemies in the process. And so often we want to win arguments instead of actually win over people. Love Makes a Way says a successful action is one where we don't simply um, win our case in terms of the humanity of refugees, but we affirm our own humanity and the humanity of those whose offices we're doing a sit-in in the process and win them over. And Osha, seeing people who work in political offices in tears saying, thank you for what you're doing, as you're arrested, or seeing police officers go, mate, if this wasn't my job, I'd join you. I used to work on Papua New Guinea. Those kind of experiences, that can't come from a self-righteous place. It has to come from a deeper place where we embrace our own brokenness and know that I'm no better than my Prime Minister.
3: And I, I honestly believe that. Jared, I would dearly i 'd love this to be a ten part podcast I would love to do this I would love to do this a season of this and just do it every week. you and me talking about stuff every week i 'd love to figure out a way to do that but That'd I, only, be fun. I only have you today so i 'm going to ask this final question um, you carry you 've chosen a path where you mm. carry a lot of weight you carry a lot of weight more weight than most people would care to bear mm. right you 've chosen this path and you do it every day. What what does your self-care look like in Mm. a way that people who haven't chosen your particular spiritual path might be able to understand and go, oh, yeah, I can can get a bit of that myself?
2: Yeah, yeah. And as I answer hearing those kookaburras in the the background, in in all seriousness, like the importance of – and I'll share from the language of my heart because you're asking about self-care, but – Uh, hearing the the praise and lament of the birds that I'm surrounded by and uh, connecting with the rest of creation and the praise and uh, lament and being a part of realising that I'm not the centre of everything and that everything is being caught up in um, both um, the the praise and pain of what it is, this moment in history, is really important to me. uh, I'm an emotive artist kind of type and so Kat says to me sometimes oh so many feelings and it's, it's a way of kind of saying let's go for a walk and so returning to um, trying to spend daily time in what in the west we refer to nature but I don't like that language because it, it, it others it says that the environment is something other than us but returning to um, you know looking at the lilies of the field and the birds of the air and the kind of beauty and compassion of which they're provided with, that's really important to me. For us both, exercise is really important. I see it as medication. I have two friends, Millard and Mason, and uh, they're incredible guys, both finished in the finals of classical bodybuilding. Um, I work out with them a couple of times a week and they make fun of me, which is good for humility. And they've... um, uh, Millard came second in the nationals and both of them don't have per- permanent residency yet for, for listeners who pray, I'd appreciate prayers for, for their journey. Um, because if they get sent home, they're looking at jail, if not a death sentence. Um, and partly because of, um, their, their faith, but also because of their politics. And, um, so working out with them is really important. Uh, community is everything. I, I, I don't understand spirituality that happens alone. Um, and I I think ironically, the answer to some of the loneliness we feel is solitude, but we need to find communities that actually affirm the kind of solitude that we can be okay with our own emptiness, that own sense of like nakedness and this moment and wanting to fill it with stuff. Um, I have rules around social media for myself. Um, I have rules around uh what I post and how I post. I work very hard to never um, prostitute the stories of these dear people that I love that so many people want to consume. Like, give me an empathetic story and turn it into a little... Uh, I have a checklist so those things don't don't happen and um, that I don't rob them of their dignity or me of my transformation by doing this kind of stuff in public and making myself out to be better than the problematic, broken person I am. Um, and also how much I'm on social media. I've, I've literally got checklists. I meet with somebody once a week who knows the bad stuff that I do when I'm not attentive to my pain and ask me very direct questions. And it's it's just as mundane and uninventive as everybody else's ways of... And ask me about those things that, for me, are those particular ways that um, I can avoid the work by doing those things and then ask me what am i doing with my pain and so the the importance of exercise importance of um being uh, caught up and reminding myself that i'm a part of all of creation and embracing my body my creatureliness my um the goodness of this moment and daily silence um for uh I teach contemplative prayer because I need to. I suck at it. It's been something I've introduced to when I was in my early teens. But the importance of um, entering into the silence and knowing that... I love the way that Kat teaches contemplative prayer to little ones, to children, which is a real passion for her. And she calls it sitting with Jesus, which I know for a lot of your listeners is like, whatever. Um, but w- what if that which animates all things, at least partly looks like the kindness we see in Jesus, that kind of nonviolent power, that kind of radical mercy, and allowing the silence to be filled with that kind of warm embrace and know that we're enough. Um, I'm a different person when that isn't a daily habit. So daily singing the Psalms, um, daily entering the silence, um, daily exercise, um, trying to be in creation and a community that can call more out of me. I go to church like Alcoholics go to Alcoholics Anonymous not um, to be a better person because I desperately need to be reminded that grace is all there is and everything is gift. So that's me.
3: That's quite an exhaustive list, but I'm grateful that it is so robust. (laughs) I really am because when I see it's important that people realize when they see the kind of activism and you are sticking your head above the tree line, Hmm. you know, to do what you do, you are sticking your head out of the trench to use a world war one, you know, Hmm. metaphor, the robustness of what you just described, that's what it takes. Yeah, it's needed, that's what right? it takes. Like yeah, what it takes. That is the converse. If I'm yeah. going to do this, if I'm going to stand out there and be the one that people target and shout at and say things at and, mm. and accuse me and my family, whatever, 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 this is everything else I have to do. Mm. It's not often that we hear that. So that's a very big gift mm. that you've uh, shared with us today. I swear, man, like it's really, it's so fascinating, like considering how I used to think about this sort of stuff, like there's so many parallels in what, we have different pathways to mm. what we name it. Mm-hmm. All right, um, my, my this is fantastic, fascinating director in my life. He was a he from West Australia. He yeah, was uh right. like the kind of guy. He was a leader of this big born-again band, and he said, yep. I converted thousands. And he said, you know what I did when I got out of there? I changed Jesus to baby, and all the songs were just as good. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. He's like, can you write all these songs, and he didn't want to yeah. sing them anymore, so I just changed Jesus to baby, and then boom. <laughs> all right, so however it is that, you know, we find our pathways to this, mm. and at the core of it, yeah, that I find there's a similarity between us, is the the, the core of it is just like just understanding the humility that is involved in being human yeah. and, in, and, the, and the joy and, and, and path. It's just how much happiness there is in finding that humility. Yeah. Understanding that, as I write about it, and it's not my line, but, you know, find humility before it finds you. Yep. Because it will. Yeah. Um, goodness, yes. But also just remaining in awe of the majesty that, Amen. that is all around us and the mm. extraordinary extraordinary ecosystem that Mm -hmm. we are simply a tiny little part of yeah how selfish and completely like it is impossible to imagine that we are Mm. at all anywhere more powerful than any other thing that Mm. exists Mm. you know like we are just another thing yeah all right and yet we see ourselves as bigger sure we can get a bulldozer and knock that hill down yeah you know and go look at me whatever but <laughs> you know w- what you know w- when a storm comes you know we'll run inside and hide that's right because we can't face it Yeah. you know just finding that understanding that for me and what you described and you're like finding the contemplative moment of i'm just so 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 small yeah i'm so small and yeah. it just makes it, it does help the noise abate
2: <laughs> and maybe just to finish with it do you know that contemplative in um in terms of the mystical tradition Mm. the word doesn't mean to think it means to see to see and what is it for us to open up our eyes and learn to see i love that
3: oh man thanks for your time buddy i'm so grateful you came Mm. thank you thank you so much um and and maybe i can get you on one of my podcasts and that'd be fun that'd be a lot of fun i'm gonna stop recording have a wee and i'm gonna take your photo Awesome, awesome, cool. That was Jared McKenna. You can support Jared by heading to kidsoffnauru.com, dot com, and you can let him know you heard him here. He's on Twitter. He's on Instagram, Jared McKenna, J-A-R-R-O-D-M-C-K-E-N-N-A. Thank you all so much for listening today. Thank you so much for the support with the book. You can always email me, send off your email at gmail.com, and you can join in a conversation and be a part... Of an interesting and wonderful and growing community at the Facebook group, osher.is slash FB group. Massive thanks to everybody that helped make the show today. Andy Ma, my audio producer. Toe who did all the music. Rachel Barrett for helping me and Jared become in the same place at the same time. Lauren Miller, my manager, for letting me use her house because um, we have men with jackhammers destroying our bathrooms at the moment. Don't worry, we're paying them. They're not just in there. Um, We're renovating. It's exciting. And you, thank you so much for listening. Until we speak next time, have a great week, sleep well, and dream of beautiful things.
1: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus.